All right, welcome to Sanity Check, a podcast devoted to staying informed and sane in the time of Trump. I'm Ben, and I'm joined tonight by Mike. Hi. We are recording on the evening of, what is today, Friday, June 9th, 2017. Today is day 141 of the resistance. You might call it the post-tweet era. And oh, if I you don't, enjoy what I you don't hear, know if I think that's going to last. No. Uh, if you enjoy what you hear, you can subscribe on iTunes, the Google Play Store, and at our website, sanitycheckpod.com. So let's get right into it with our best and worst news in a very newsworthy week. For me, my best is um, the outcome of the UK election. Uh, in which the Tories, it's sort of a huge, it's like a competition between Theresa May and, and David Cameron for hugest cell phone in yeah. UK electoral politics. Um, it's, a, so, it's a real close race. Yeah, we can, so we'll talk more in more <laughs> yeah. detail, but it was nice to see Labour actually have a really strong showing and um, sort of continues the trend with Macron winning in France of, of a, yeah. the seemingly maybe the a slowing down of the tide of nationalism and autocracy that was sort of seemed to be rising um so that was my best thing for me the worst is is um not exactly a piece of news but more something that has become clear which is that no matter what evidence comes out of bad things trump has done there won't be any consequence he won't get impeached he's not going to be removed because Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell are more attached to passing their agenda. This is obviously related to the Comey testimony and him describing the president doing things that in any normal circumstances would be cause for things to happen. Yes, which is certainly something that we're going to be getting into, um, I'm sure, in a fair amount of detail. Um, so for me, um, I'll start with my worst, I guess. Um, I'm, I'm going to go with the the news that it's, it's it's becoming clearer and clearer that the Senate is, and by the Senate I mean Mitch McConnell and the Republican senators, are intent on passing um, some version of the AHCA bill that the House passed. Um, and it, it doesn't even sound like a bill that's all that different. Um, and I mean, this is, it would, the only way I can describe it is it would be a tragedy. Um, in terms of my best news, um, I'm going to say, I still think that the Comey hearing was, um, was a good, it was a good thing to happen. Um, it was, uh, it was a good day for telling the truth. And um, I, I found that refreshing, which well, I don't uh, what that says about uh, the rest of our political discourse. But. Well, let's just segue right into it. Let's, yeah. you know, the big topic of the last week to me is pretty clearly this testimony from James Comey, private I'm, citizen, no longer yes, an employee of the Federal form, Bureau. Former FBI director James Comey. I mean, it's pretty unusual to have every broadcast network and essentially every cable network and every bit of C-SPAN and so on, all breaking their programming to show congressional testimony. I mean, it, it is odd, but I mean, this was a really big deal. A handful of times in the last number of decades. I was trying to think 
like um, maybe the Monica Lewinsky testimony and well, and I mean, Contra. obviously one association is Watergate. Right, Watergate. May have, uh, this may have been the most watched congressional testimony since Watergate. I mean, I don't. I mean, we don't probably don't have the numbers yet. There but... were bars putting on special Comey yeah. hearings events. Right, it was almost like a the Super Bowl or something. Um, and I have to say, it deliver it over, kind of over delivered. Um, well, the setup was. Um, it, it has a great narrative, right? Like you had James Comey hounding Hillary Clinton over her emails and releasing a really strong statement condemning her, even though he did, they weren't going to charge her. And then, you know, then there was the twist where he released the Anthony Weiner laptop yeah. letter right before the election. And, and all along with that, there was this Trump was Comey's reputation in Trump's telling would go up and down based on whether Comey was hurting or helping Hillary. Um, Hillary, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and then there was the weird sort of hug once Trump was in office, and it seemed like Trump sort of was trying to cozy up to Comey. And then he fired him, and then there were these moments. You know, so it's it's got a great build. Well, and then there's, there's been rep- all the reporting on um, his attempts to influence Comey and in Comey's investigation of Michael Flynn and other matters. And, and Comey's so this really interesting figure because he kind of, he doesn't, he kind of doesn't like any of the sides. One of the things that struck me about his testimony, and you were mentioning it's very honest, was he he sort of dished, <laughs> he sort of he dished equal some opportunity. Dirt. Yeah. I'll give him that, yeah. Well, and it makes it seem more believable. I mean, he, he came across to me as very authentic, mm-hmm. um, and as self-effacing as he is capable of being. Well, and I think there were some legitimate questions, um, maybe not legitimate, but like questions that I understand where people were saying, you know, well, if this happened, why didn't you do this? And he basically just copped to that. And he was like, you know, maybe if I'd been thinking better, if I'd been stronger, I would have, you know, like I did the, and so he seemed to me to be a guy who was in this extremely awkward and bad, bizarre situation. He he did not have an easy job. Well, as he put it, he should have just gone to dinner with his wife. Yeah, yeah, no, and he he's not wrong. <laughs> no, he is not. Um, and the other thing that came through really clearly to me was that Trump, it, it, that Comey found it extremely unacceptable the way Trump talked about the FBI well certainly the way he talked about the FBI but I, I I got the impression that he found basically everything about Trump to be completely unacceptable he basically said like when I they you know they were like why don't you keep memos of your conversations with Obama and Comey he didn't say this but he was like well I never felt any need to right it, but then right. as soon as I met Trump once I was like this guy is is like a shady lying snake well, I, I don't have the transcript in front of me but he said you know something to the effect of you know, it was because of his character yeah that is what he right. said yeah. and he said well he said he thought that Trump might lie about their conversation well, which is well, explicit. that I, that I do have he um right he he said um when when asked why he decided to memorialize um the the conversation that um that that he had um he said well 
um, it was a combination of things, I think, the circumstances, the subject matter, and the person I was interacting with. So that was sort of his first little head nod towards Trump being a, a dipshit. Um, and then he literally goes on to say, yeah, and then the nature of the person. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. And that happened. But the idea that a just-fired sitting director of the FBI who is uh, well-respected as a lawman, if, even if there are many of us who have had our extreme disagreements with him about some of the choices he's made, um, for him to under oath in front of Congress with millions of people watching on national television to call the president of the United States a liar over and over and over again, which he did. I mean, I counted. He called him a liar essentially like six or seven times in his testimony. Um, and that, that the part that we just mentioned was not even the first time in his testimony that day. You know, he, he started out by by describing Trump as having defamed him and the FBI. And, Which I think uh, is true. Oh, it's totally true. Um, I mean, that's extraordinary. Um, yeah, it, and I, it's something that I, I get the feeling that a guy like Comey, um, he, he clearly, um, propriety and doing one's job correctly are very important to him. Um, and for him to go so far as to straight up call the president a liar, I think coming from him is an even bigger deal. I mean, to me, this is all gray area. One of the things I think about this whole situation is it's, it's definitely all an example of how there's very little black and white, except for in this case, there actually is one evil operator and it's very simple and that's Donald Trump. Yes. But everybody else, you know, Comey Comey is has a lot of integrity, has a lot of honesty. He also there's a lot of discussion we could have about the way he conducted himself during the election mm-hmm. campaign. And he definitely has a, an awareness of his own reputation. You know, it's definitely oh, not like an unaware definitely. I mean, Trump described him as a grandstander and a showboat, and that's not entirely wrong, I don't think. Well, I wouldn't use those words. He's just, he's more of an operator. He's very politically shrewd. Um, I think that was one thing that really came across um, in this uh, whole, uh, his testimony and and the optics surrounding it. I mean, it it seems like, uh, not that it will will have a dramatic effect, but he he was playing chess and Trump was playing checkers. Um, I mean, the releasing a seven-page written pre-testimony document the night before was... That was a bombshell. Um, And that document was... It was... First of all, it was extremely dramatic. Um, I I don't know if you read the whole thing. I didn't Uh, read the whole thing, but I read uh, some selections. I I, I read the whole thing because I I found it gripping. Um, it It was quite well written. Um, well, and it gave the strong impression that he that Trump was acting very weird and upsetting. Yeah, well, I think that's because Comey kept on saying over and over again, I was extremely concerned and I found his behavior really concerning and upsetting. Yeah, he makes it clear. I mean, yeah. 
So, you know, but like I was saying, it's a lot of gray areas because one of the things that I noticed following the testimony is nobody really was surprised. People were upset. People found it to be troubling. But the other thing that makes it so believable is this is absolutely the Trump that we know. Well, one thing that I found quite interesting is that um, no one really disputed what he said as fact. No, the Republican defenders basically were saying, you know, in all these hearings, you always have one side is, you know, depending on the political context, you'll have one side being like, you're such a great guy. Right. Would you like to tell us how hard this was for you? And then you'll have the other side being like, you're a fucking lying asshole. And why don't you just go hang yourself? And, you know, so the Republicans this time were like butter emails was essentially all they had. After saying how much respect they had for him and that he was a great guy. I don't think that any of them thought it was a smart move for Trump to fire Comey. No, and I think it's become evident that that was a really stupid move. Extremely. Um, and then the part where he not only fired him, but then shit-talked him and the FBI. Yeah, I mean, and, and Comey, you know, I think part of what I meant by being politically shrewd is he clearly had a strategy in terms of how he was going to answer questions. There were certain things that he wanted to get out there. There were certain pieces of information that he volunteered that weren't even necessarily um, parts of questions. I Um, also thought that the way he wielded the answer about things he couldn't talk about in the open session itself made some interesting, you know, suggestions. Uh, Those were particularly um, un charitable to uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions. I didn't get the sense that Comey felt Jeff Sessions had done his job correctly. No, and it also, one got the impression that James Comey knew things about Jeff Sessions that it would not be good for Jeff Sessions if other people knew about them. Well, you know, one of the things, we haven't really touched on it yet in this episode, but of course the underlying investigation that was causing all of the interactions that Comey and Trump had was the Russia investigation. Right. And the number of times these election, these campaign, Trump campaign team members kept meeting with various Russians is really amazing. Like, they would keep meeting with them. It's almost literally unbelievable. Well, and then the way that they lied about it. Yes. It's really the, it's those two together. It's the numerous meetings that were then concealed. I I particularly liked his answer when, I think it was uh, Angus King, asked him about what he knew about the Russian bank VBE. Yeah, that was a good answer. And and Comey, he sort of smirked. And he was like, well, I know it exists. He said, no, the answer was, he thought for like a long moment, and then he said, nothing I can talk about in an open session. Right, and then he added something. basically is like, this bank is like a shady... But then he added something like, I know it exists. Yeah, in, well, like, right. In a sarcastic I, I think tone, Angus right? King prompted him, and he was like, yeah, I know it exists. Like He's like, I am aware of that bank. <laughs> yeah. And that's all I can tell you right now. Which basically, even though that's not an informative answer, in a way it kind of is an informative yeah. answer. And I, you know, I, I, had, I had dinner tonight with, um, with an old friend from college who is very knowledgeable about Russia, and I asked her about that bank. And, and she said that... There is n- no reason that anyone would have to meet with that bank to do even real estate deals. Like what? My Kushner understanding has been... is it's like a it's like a front bank. Like it's a bank 
solely uh, yeah, devoted to shadowy. She said, "Right, it's a it's a it's a front, and if and when it's doing legitimate business, it's doing business on a scale that." Is such that individuals don't meet with it. Like it was the bank. It's that... like selling aluminum among countries, right? Like or it, it was like the bank that fully financed the Sochi Olympics, <laughs> right? You know, so it's like you don't you don't go to them for a loan, even for six 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 Fifth Avenue or whatever. Well, someone as dumb as Jared Kushner, there's almost no chance that he, in any meeting with that bank, someone's getting played, and it's not yeah. the bank. Um, and, and Comey, you know, he, he made some, he made some news too. Um, he, he said unprompted, um, when asked whether or not, and this was savvy again, the way he did it, when asked whether or not he felt that Trump's behavior rose to the level of obstruction of justice, he said that he didn't feel that it was his place to comment and that he, um, he would leave that to uh, former director Robert Mueller of the FBI. Her close um, friend and a business associate of James Comey. Yes. Um, but he said, quote, he was sure, unquote, that Mueller would be looking into whether or not it rose to the level of obstruction. Which well, is I mean, essentially... Well, sure, but you know, he he essentially one hundred percent confirmed that Robert Mueller has an obstruction of justice investigation now on um, the president of the United States. I guess I didn't find that that news. I didn't think of that as like breaking news because if you look at the timeline, really, if you just look at two elements of the timeline, which are, it's reported that the president asked the FBI director not to investigate this one guy. Well, and then and then the investigation doesn't stop, and then the president fires the FBI director. It's like any you have to investigate obstruction of justice in those circumstances. No, well, that's certainly true. I, I enjoyed the way he parried. Uh, I can't remember the Republican senator's name. I, I like the way MSNBC's, which is where I watched it, described him. They're like, this is the most generally considered the most conservative member of the Senate, uh, and he he was the one who tried to play a gotcha game with Comey about. He asked Comey whether or not, in Comey's experience, anyone had ever been convicted of um, hoping for something. And Comey pointed out that when the President of the United States has you alone in the Oval Office and tells you repeatedly that he really hopes something will happen, that that is, you one takes that as a um, a directive. Well, we talked about this earlier. How like. The Republican Trump defenders, first of all, they seemed kind of reluctant. They weren't really passionate and excited to be defending Trump. But and their their line, the things they tried to see if they would stick, were pretty pathetic. Were terrible. Well, like the scene, you know, here's the scene. Trump invites Comey to this weird one-on-one dinner, and he talks about how, you know, oh boy, wouldn't you like to hang on to your job? And by the way, I hope you can lay off of this investigation, which any person. Basically, anyone over the age of, like, 11 recognizes that situation as an implicit command, or, you know, directive. And the Republicans were like, well, he never specifically said, I want you to stop the investigate." you know. It it was, I mean, it's just ludicrous. I mean, everyone really was right something. It. it really was something, like, something out of The Godfather. Well, I mean, it, like if my if my boss if I'm if I'm at my workplace and my boss asks me to come into the office and it's just the two of us and they say, "Boy, it'd be a shame if anything happened to your job," and then some t- and then like a moment passed and then they said, "I hope you'll do such and such." It's it's there's no doubt no one is 
no one misunderstands what happens in that situation. That's no. a directive, and of course well, it is. It's so uh, obvious. Uh, Kamala Harris did a good job later in the in the hearing of pointing that out when she said that. You know, if someone points a gun at your head and says, I hope you give me your wallet. Exactly. You know, I mean, please, come on. And then the other lines they tried, I don't want to dwell on this for too long, but like there was no. the extremely confusing and unfortunate John McCain. Well, that, that I feel like really falls into almost a separate category because I feel still... like he was trying to establish the, the idea that Comey was using a double standard for Hillary versus Mc, for, versus Trump. But it didn't make any sense whatsoever. Well, A, even that doesn't make any sense. No, of course not. And B, that that whole exchange was just so disturbing because McCain really seemed like he was having a medical event. To me, I'll tell you what I thought it was. I thought it was McCain... Sometimes in 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 your career, you have certain work responsibilities and you don't like them and you have to just do them. And so I feel like McCain had to show up to that hearing, and he had to be a Republican and and try to set up a defensive. And he's known for to Trump. be a kind of a cranky guy. And I think he hates Trump. And I think I so, agree you know, with that. He, now I don't give him any particular credit, and you know, there's this idea that he's a maverick. Whereas in fact, no, in terms not. of his voting behavior, he he's supports all. all the worst Republican habits. But I think personally, he finds it terribly distasteful that he has to go sit in that room and carry water for this gross sexual assaulter. Well, I think that's all true, but I don't think it explains why on during m- multiple times during his questioning, he referred to Trump as Comey, including President Comey. Um, and he was slurring his words. Um, For me, I just think of that as he was consumed with like self-hatred and a questioning sense of like, how has it come to this? I suppose, but then he like he didn't notice for about forty-five seconds when when the chairman was banging his gavel trying to get... Being like, dude, <laughs> stop. For, for your own sake, well, like, he, he please explained stop talking. it afterwards that he stayed up late watching an Arizona the Diamondbacks, Diamondbacks yeah, which you know um, who hasn't. But, I mean, it really looked to me like Comey wasn't even listening to him and was more concerned about whether or not he should call an ambulance. Well, I guess I didn't want to talk too much about the McCain thing, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm just saying it was noticeable to me that, um, you know, like when Marco Rubio was talking or um, Tom Cotton was talking. Please, if you could the, use his full title, it's Little Marco Rubio. <laughs> right, Little Marco. Um, when Little Marco was um, uh, sniveling, um, uh you know, people were on Twitter were being like, "My God!" You know, um, the invertebrate strikes again, or you know, they were making I mean, fun it was of pathetic. Him. And I'm it sure was... they knew it was pathetic because here you've right. got the FBI director, and he wrote down these memos, and his entire story totally hangs together. Like, there's not one thing he said that doesn't, you know, there's no, there's no inconsistencies. He was like, "I met with Trump once, and he creeped me out so much that I decided I had to keep detailed records of every meeting." Which, like. And then, I, and, and, then, and then I discussed it with my leadership team at the FBI. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's... So, you know, that part of it's all great. But, like, the thing that is troubling to me is, and I sort of touched on this earlier, you know, nobody's surprised, A. But, B, like, I'm not even sure what's going to happen. Well, yes. So I don't think that uh, – now, granted, we have no idea what happened in the closed session, right? Um, I mean, I'm sure he gave him some more details on that bank. Yeah, and on um, Jeff Sessions apparently having some 
some other meetings that he forgot about with uh, with various Russians. I think Sergei Kislyak must have one of those men in black things that he uses on yeah. people. Or, or that cape from Harry Potter. He must have the yeah. cape from Harry Potter. Yeah, I think that is what that is. He had, to get, he had to get the cape let out. <laughs> right. He's a, he's a big man. Um, yeah, it's so forgettable. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Um, so we don't know what happened in the closed session. Um, and uh, I, I saw... Diane Feinstein says that she would actually like to have Comey back because she she didn't feel like she got to answer all the questions. Compliment him enough on how brave and strong he was. That was a little odd. <laughs> it was a little but, odd. But I, I, on the other hand, um, she's older than John McCain is and seemed a lot more with it. So I'll give her that. She was talking like she was about to be like, you know, like my niece has a friend you should <laughs> yes. meet. Like, is your middle name is your middle name Fabio? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, I'm not even a huge uh, Di- Diane Feinstein fan. Yet. No, neither am I. But um, but uh, what I think Comey did is, um, I think he was talking. I think he knows that the Republicans are feckless and ridiculous and aren't going to do anything. Everybody uh, knows that. So they I, know I think, that. I think he was doing a dramatic storytelling for swing voters. I I guess I see that. You know, I also to me he had the air he he was he was sort of there was a feeling of freedom. You know, all his life he'd worked towards this one career and it was taken away by this guy who was then a total asshole to him. And, and he, he felt while he was still in the FBI that he had to keep his mouth shut because it was inappropriate to talk shit about his boss. Well, and also you got this, like we mentioned and when he's the FBI director, his boss is Jeff Sessions, who he does not trust. And so how is he going to put stuff up the chain of command to, to Jeff it, Sessions? It, it didn't sound like he trusted Rod Rosenstein a lot. You know, no, he kind of shaded Rod Rosenstein pretty hard, too. Jeff Sessions, uh, he... I don't. I didn't really know a lot of details about him. My understanding previously was that he was supposed to be this smart tactical senate operator who had been there for a long time and sort of knew the ropes and it's he's not seeming that great at this so far jeff sessions not such a smooth operator well he seems like a bumbling idiot i mean if you know the if you know what you're doing then why in heaven's name would you meet with the russian ambassador two or potentially three times and then lie about it that's just bush league meeting with them is stupid but it's not criminal. Um, lying well, he under. He could o- say, I was meeting with them to try to make plans for how we could communicate once we were in office. Or something. You know, there's like a plausible yeah. explanation. You know, I, it, the president had told me that I was likely to be the attorney general, and, you know. Yeah, and I thought it was weird, but as a courtesy, I had dinner with this guy, and we talked, and it was fine. Right. But instead, he was like, no, I never met any Russians, Senator Franken. Yeah, and and then let me just volunteer some more information that you haven't even asked me so about. Stupid. I mean, which is that I have never this. even seen a Russian. I don't even know what Russia is. Right. I hear I, Sarah I, Palin can see one from her house. It's a, it's a, like a cocktail or something, right, from the Big Lebowski. Oh, you know that is a good cocktail, though. It is a good cocktail. Um. um anyway, so let's. Start, what are we? What are our? What are our wrap up takeaways here for the Comey hearings? I well, I would was... say that, that Comey, you know, he clearly. I, and as I say, I think he was doing this for the lay audience, the swing voter. He laid out essentially a case for obstruction of justice in not so many words. 
Um, he it was it was almost like an opening statement, and then he acted as his own star witness. Was and, he a lawyer? Oh, sure. I didn't know he sure. was a lawyer. He was a prosecutor. Well, yeah, so then there are a lot of lawyers. Like, Kamala Harris was a lawyer. Remember, he was the deputy attorney general um, in the W administration, right? I guess you have to be an attorney to be a deputy attorney general. Generally so. Um, uh, and uh, and so I, I think that he did that very intentionally, um, not because Bob Mueller needs to hear it, um, and not because the senators questioning him needed to hear it, but to have it under oath, on the record, and with millions of people on television hearing the president is a liar, he cannot be trusted, and he has committed crimes. He also enhanced his credibility to me personally when he laid out his whole reasoning behind how he handled the Clinton email investigation. Yeah. Where um, we see that, really, Bill Clinton should not have gone and tried to meet with Loretta Lynch privately on the tarmac. That was oh, a that's very error. clear. I mean, I, I, I think you can quibble with his, like, he made such a big deal out of uh, having to describe that investigation as a matter he did make um, that seem like a really big deal. And and Loretta Lynch has already pushed back on that um, and has pointed out that the reason for that is because the FBI does not disclose, nor does the Department of Justice, whether or not an investigation is taking place. Yeah, they're not and supposed so to by, talk about investigations. So by calling it a matter, you are not saying that it is an investigation. I mean... Um, I thought it was, yeah. it, from the point of view of, a, as you're talking about, a swing voter, I did think the fact that he was willing to trash Loretta Lynch would be credibility enhancing. Yeah. And the, the other thing that came through loud and clear, which I think everybody p would agree with, is that Obama seems to be a lot more honest than Trump. Yeah, George W. Bush seems more honest than Trump, too. I mean, it doesn't, George, doesn't take much. I never thought of George W. Bush as a huge liar. He was more of a no. monster. No, Dick Cheney's maybe. Oh, my God. Dick, don't even talk Don, about Dick Cheney. But, okay, that's two times yeah. we've said his name, so no more. Okay, you're right. I need him showing up. Right, it's like the candy man. Uh, um, but, yeah, so, but, I mean, it's... Uh, yes, but... Uh, yes, he, he certainly made Barack Obama look good yet again. Well, I got this sense, even though I think I think Comey is identified as a Republican, he, he certainly seemed to have a lot more personal respect for Obama. Yes. Um, Which I, makes sense. I, he made that abundantly clear when he explained that he did not feel the need to memorialize his conversations with him. Despite yeah, he, he never being... said he was worried that Barack Obama would lie about their conversations. Right. Yeah. And despite them being extremely long conversations about he also, serious... You know, did you notice that moment when uh, when they said, you know, did you ever speak with the president about worrying about the Russian hacking? And Comey was like, no. Oh, well, President Trump, no. Obama and yes. I talked about it. Many times. Well, that that actually, you know, that, I, I would like to comment on that just very quickly, which, which is that it, it is actually unbelievably remarkable and telling that uh, according to Comey's testimony... Besides that initial briefing that he and other intelligence officials gave then-President-elect Trump, 
at Trump Tower, um, preceding that first individual meeting, that never again in any setting did Trump ask him anything about Russia's interference in our election. Well, David Simon was on Twitter. David Simon, creator of The Wire, was on Twitter referring to that as he considered that to be a tell. In other words, that Trump wouldn't ask about it because he already knew. Yeah, I mean, and that's certainly a plausible theory. I mean, we can't prove it, but... Um, I mean, he wrote The Wire, so he's... he's How do you... I mean, The Wire is the greatest TV show of all time. Um, whereas to... he, he called Comey, like, several times because he had further thoughts about Including the Russian one, hookers. Including uh, one unsolicited call to be like, just, yes. by, just hey, by the way, I didn't have sex with any Russian hookers, which is such a totally it, not guilty way to not, act. Not because it would be wrong or because I'm married, but because I knew no, they were taping me. I'm not sure Trump has ever adjusted his behavior in any way in his life because of his being married. No. Maybe he's more of an asshole to the women he's married to than usual. Oh, I would imagine he definitely is. He's already gotten whatever he wanted probably he's gross um but there's a little there's a little um i don't know concluding note here which is that trump said he would be 100 percent willing to testify under oath yeah so i mean it was today i think so you're you're referring to what happened today so and that and that's important so so on multiple occasions comey called trump a liar um most specifically he and he made several assertions one that um that Trump instructed him to try to let the Flynn thing go um and that Trump asked for his loyalty pledge um Trump had previously denied that um during a press conference with the president of Colombia today in the rose garden um with doing a dual press conference with the president of Romania uh, he was asked again and um, again denied both of those allegations and when asked whether or not he would be willing to testify under oath to that effect, he said yes, 100%. Which and, his lawyers will never in a million years let him do if, no. if they're any kind of decent lawyers. No, although it's, it's not at all surprising that he would say that. Well, my favorite thing about him is that he always says, he says... I don't see why it would have been wrong for me to do that, and I didn't do it. But he right. always does both. Like he's always like, even if I had done that, I think that would be fine. And well, also, and he, I didn't do it. And he also again refused to really answer the question about whether or not he tapes his conversations. In I'm the sure Oval he office. doesn't. I mean, of course he doesn't. He's he's just bullshitting. I, I think that's likely true. I mean, apparently he tapes conversations in Trump Tower. No, but, I, I'm uh, sh- I'm a hundred percent sure he tapes conversations in Trump Tower. I just don't think he's wired up the Oval Office yet. Yeah, probably out of incompetence more than lack of desire. Um, but I mean, if he does have the tapes, I, I, Comey was talking like a guy who was not at all worried about. No, the he was like, bring it on. Tapes. He was like, hey, let's get all the tapes. I wish. Yeah. Should, like, I bet Comey should have worn a wire. Now that I think about it. Yeah, I don't know about the legalities there, but... Um, the FBI director, you can, you know... Was, well, was actually, Washington, Washington D.C. I, I do know that, at least when it comes to telephones, Washington, D.C. is a one-party consent... There you go. Wire them up. Uh, ...area, so... Um, but so we'll this have thing... To, we'll have oh. to see where this goes. 
Well, um, I don't think it will go much of anywhere. It'll be interesting to see if Comey testifies again in other venues. Um, I'll be interested. I think, to me, the next big milestone is going to be when Robert Mueller completes his investigation. Well, that's going to take a long time. I, I yeah. think that the next thing, because it would really corroborate what Comey said, would be if those dipshits, um, Dan Coates and Mike Rogers and and so on. Um, these were the these D- two senior officials who refused to answer questions from right. the Senate Intelligence so, Committee. So it had been reported, I believe in the Post or possibly the Times, that they had been called personally by Trump um, one is the director of national intelligence, one is the head of the NSA, um, and at, Trump asked them to basically to lean on Comey and get him to shut things down. Unclear whether or not that referred to Flynn or Russia or both or whatever. But For it someone would be... who wasn't worried about these investigations, he sure did a lot to try to All get right. them... And so they came in and under oath refused to answer any questions. I know, which is illegal. Like, yeah, they yeah. should have charged them with contempt of Congress, because unless yeah. you're claiming executive privilege, you have to which answer. Which they were not. Um, and even the Republicans seemed pretty pissed off. Well, the Senate, one of the idiosyncratic things about the Senate is they they take their prestige very seriously, and that's all. Yeah. You know, That's a bipartisan... That was the angriest I had seen Marco Rubio in, like, I think, is ever... Please, if you could, if you could, please use his full title. Little, little, little Marco. <laughs> little Marco. He almost like rose out of the water and was able to walk on two legs for a brief so moment. Um, but yeah, they need to come back in and they need to be uh, compelled to answer the question of whether or not the president of the United States asked them to intervene in. Investigations. Because... I also started to get the feeling that he was that Trump is losing Susan Collins. Uh yeah, I think so. Um, and he doesn't have that many Republican senators he can afford to lose. No, yeah, I mean, she's never been you know a big cheerleader of his. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I think I think you're right. I think Susan Collins uh, may not be that supportive of of the Donald going forward. Unfortunately, that is not enough. The clock is suggesting to me that it would be good for us to turn to our next... Oh, yeah. what about... Speaking of clocks, yeah. there's a huge clock in England. Yeah. <laughs> How's that for I, a segue? Well, there's a, there's, there's a couple of big clocks in England. Oh, there's, they got uh, all the, the clocks. There, there's Big Ben, uh, which I think you were referring to. That's the one. Um, but there's also the, um, the two-year countdown clock... That was invoked oh, by Article 50. That's next-level segueing right there. Yeah. Um, which Theresa May very cleverly invoked before she called a snap election. So let me break this. I've been listening to a ton of British podcasts to try to figure out what... This election turned out completely bonkers. Um, yeah. Theresa May had a majority. She's a Tory, and they were Not doing... a huge one, but... No, a, but, I mean, they're... A workable one. They don't. And um, they were going to, and she activated Brexit. She sort of turned on the Brexit machine, which you were talking about, turning Article 50. So now in two years, the UK has to leave their European Union. So then Theresa May calls this election thinking that she'll firm up her majority and get a nice mandate going into the Brexit negotiations. And then it didn't quite work out the way she had in mind. I, I'm, I think that's a bit of an understatement. 
Well, they ended up losing a bunch of seats and losing their outright majority for the Tories, and Labour picked up a ton of seats. But it was also a very weird election. Like, the Tories picked up a bunch of seats in Scotland, which they I have never have expected. They, they hadn't even had, like, one seat there in, like, They had not years. had more than one seat since 1992 in Scotland. Yeah. And yet yeah. now they've got a couple. The Scottish yeah. National Party got schooled. The Apparently Dems. it's all because of Brexit. I mean, I don't live there, and so I don't feel like I know enough to comment, but, but the way it all shook out was there was a big surge for Labour, the sort of your left-aligned parties, which is your Green Party, Lib Dems, Scottish National Party. There were Altogether, there were quite a large amount of those, but not enough, and the Tories, with the help of this small Irish party called the Democratic Unionist Party, Northern Ireland, are going to uh, form a coalition government. Well, there's, there seems to be a little bit of a question about that. Um, that's Theresa May says that that's the, her intention, and they're talking about it. Um, but it may end up being a minority government. There's all kinds. Of, I, I don't understand all the details of how their governing system works, but from what I understand, there's a way for the Democratic Unionist Party to agree that they support the Tories to in some way that will allow the Tories to form a government even right. though so, they don't control a majority. So that 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 is what's known as a minority government and that it it can work. Canada had a minority government for about 15 years in the 80s and 90s. Basically from my understanding what that entails is um you don't you you form a cabinet but because you don't have a majority of the seats in parliament you can't pass any legislation or do anything unless at for each discrete thing that you try to do, you can convince enough members of the Democratic Unionist Party or any other party to go along with you. So you're, the, you're completely at their mercy. Yeah, and so that's the Democratic Unionist Party, which is this tiny parochial Northern Ireland political well, party that's also religiously extremist. I was going to say, they're a paramilitary organization, yeah. it turns out. And they're, one of the quotes from one of the podcasts I listened to was like, you know, there's going to be a motorway for, for every driveway and like infrastructure for everybody, because anytime Theresa May wants to do anything... They can basically just hold her up for yeah. their parochial I mean, it, concerns. It sounds like they're basically a Protestant version of the uh, old IRA to, to a the certain degree. The big things I've, I've learned about the Democratic Unionist Party, which over the last 48 hours my knowledge of them has gone from I didn't know they existed right. to some basic details. They are, they are very homophobic. They yeah. oppose abortion rights in all cases. and um, Well, they are Irish. Well, they're but they're very they're a sort of religious extremist. They're like they seem sort of similar to our evangelical far right Republicans in their sort of in the slate of things they care about. Except they're also sort of like the white nationalists in that they do favor more government spending on the right sort of people. So they're not that opposed. You know, this is one of the discussions is the Democratic Unionist Party seem at first glance to be a good fit to align with the Tories. But in fact, when you examine it more closely, there's some things that they could get along with labor perfectly fine on, like, you know, keeping the health service well-funded. I, I imagine that if if uh, labor had the Tories' number of seats, they would be happy to do the same deal with them. 
Labour had the Tories number of seats, they could make a government with uh, the Lib Dems and the Scottish National Party and not have to worry about the Democratic that is also true. And then, of course, there's there's all these idiosyncrasies like Sinn Féin typically will win a bunch of they seats have, and they then they just don't them. go. Yeah, right. they abstain them. And so... Well, and then, I mean, it, 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 the whole thing is bizarre. There are certain, a few parallels, I think, to our election um, in the sense that you had the the two main parties, right, the Labour and and the Conservatives, who, who won 82% of the vote in the end, which was a way higher percentage than had happened in England in a long time. Well, that was one of the things. Labour had been bleeding a ton of of support off to the Lib Dems and SNP, and yeah. they were re, they were reconsolidating some of that. But their leaders were both extremely unpopular. Um, that seems... Theresa May had started off with pretty decent approval ratings, but they had been plummeting. <laughs> Apparently, she's an extremely bad campaigner. Yeah, she's a really bad campaigner, and then I think she really stuck a fork in herself um, with her reaction to these horrific terror well, attacks. Where she basically said, like, we can't be committed to human rights anymore. Right. She was like, we, we're going we're gonna to become like autocratic and yeah it was it was going to shut down the internet they, it wasn't and, what the were looking for at all and turn into a police state and and people were like huh and then on the flip side you've got labor which uh i'm generally supportive of i was excited um, for this part of the conversation yeah led by um a complete piece of shit named jeremy corbyn um <laughs> this is here we go cuz i don't think that jeremy corbyn's that bad uh, well, I mean, obviously you and I are going to disagree on this. So, uh, if we were just looking at his domestic policy positions... Um, well, I think th- one of the things that came I, through... Though I, I don't think that he's qualified to enact them in any way. I more or less agree with them. Well, there was a labor manifesto that they released during yeah. this campaign. And um, from what I gather, it found a lot of support. People found it to be reasonable and, and things that they liked, things they wanted to have happen. Yeah, but they don't like Jeremy Corbyn. Well, who's they? I mean... Anyone. His approval ratings are, are including the Labour MPs. I mean, they had a vote of no confidence against him well, last yeah, year, right? Well, yeah, but so this, what you're saying does not align with what I'm getting from the British analysis that I've been listening to, which is that the Labour MPs hate Corbyn, but the youth voters who turned out to really power the Tory the power of the labor to victory here not victory they lost but better performance than they had previously they like Corbyn well I think that may be the read now based on the fact that labor did much better than expected the actual polling of his approval ratings leading up to the election were quite poor um he, well this is that sounds like un- one of those things you don't have to be faster than the Tiger, right. you just have to be faster than, in this case, Theresa May. Well, this is why I was saying there were some parallels to our election because we we had two candidates and Donald Trump and Hillary. You're Clinton not saying that Jeremy Corbyn very... is as bad as Donald Trump. No, I'm not. No one is. Boris Johnson is is maybe a little more Donald. Trump I don't yet. even think I can't I think of one other. Not, but but the, the problem with Jeremy Corbyn has nothing to do with his domestic policy positions. You know, I think I'm I think it's great that he wants to raise taxes really high and renationalize England's utilities and 
buff up the National Health Service. Do the free and, tuition. That was a big and one, And free too. tuition. Like, all that's great. I agree with him completely. My problem with him is that he really likes terrorists. That's uh, the thing. So I don't actually know what the source of that belief is. Let's okay. Well, I, he, he first came to prominence in British culture in the uh, mid-1980s when during the height of the IRA bombing London in particular, he would go hang out in Northern Ireland with, um, with Jerry Adams and, and Sinn Féin and uh, tell everyone how great they were and that they were really misunderstood and that the bombing was not really that big of a deal. Um, so he started off with that. Then he moved to um, uh, helping to largely coordinate the campaign to have the uh, conviction of the 1994 bombers of the Israeli embassy in London overturned um, simply because uh, he didn't feel that they had done anything that was really that bad. Um as a note, their conviction has been upheld like three or four times, including at, in the EU and like at The Hague. You're saying uh, it goes back to the Troubles, this reputation. Well, it goes back to the Troubles. Um, he, then, um, he then spent a fair amount of time hanging out um, in the Middle East, um, where he became extremely friendly with the leadership of Hamas and Hezbollah. Um, and, um, a little bit of a wide career for a British politician. And he petitioned to have, he, to have them de-recognized as terrorist groups and, um, and said that everything that they were doing violence wise, uh, towards Israeli citizens was legitimate, um, and so on. He, um... Uh, he was extremely cozy with Hugo Chavez and Fidel Castro um, and said that they were incredibly great statesmen who had, uh, you know, brought the left forward in, in so many ways and completely ignored all of their human rights abuses and so on. I, what I'm saying is he's a bad person. I, I, yeah, it's in, going in through spite, loud and clear. In spite of the fact that I agree with his domestic economic policies, he is a bad person. And I think that um, in large part, he's gotten away with it. Um, you know, he's, he's probably most famous for his anti-Semitism. Um, and unfortunately, that is tolerated a lot more in the UK than it is in the US. And I think that's part of why he's gotten away with it. But he's pretty... He's, he's pretty equal opportunity in his terrorist loving. So I feel like we're probably maybe doing a little bit more depth on Jeremy Corbyn specific Sorry. than his... I, I, I have a little I bit of a, you, a like, bee in my bonnet about him. You know, I I know a lot less about him than you do. Most of... It's interesting because when I... What I've read about him is mostly celebrating that he's um, trying to move move the Labor Party to the left in terms of their policies. Yeah, that part's great. So... But you know, I would we probably rather... don't have time to. I, no. I don't have time to educate myself and then continue the conversation no. right now. I just wish that it would be someone who didn't support um, violent terrorists so um, much as well. I wonder about what's going to happen for Brexit. It's a, it's really problematic because now that Article Fifty has been invoked, it's my understanding that for. 
Brexit to not occur, um, which it's somewhat suggestive that this election indicates that, I mean, there are at least a lot of people in England who wouldn't mind that. Um, it's it would super require... confusing. I can't figure out what conclusion to draw about what people think know. about Brexit from this. But it, it would require a... Um, a full, like, unanimous vote of the rest of the EU to go back on Article 50. Well, and it's not like, even it, clear that... It's not clear that anyone wants to go... It's not well, clear what they want. But it, or even to delay the implementation. So, like, it, it probably would be good at this point with a hung parliament and, you know, a probable minority government, which probably means there's going to be another election relatively soon. Well, and you're not um, even getting into how the Democratic Unionist Party that we've talked about, they do not want there to be a hard border between the Republic of... between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Right. And if if UK leaves the EU, I hope I'm using these terms right. You know, if 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 all if if Brexit if there's a hard Brexit, there would be a hard border between those two pieces of that island. Well, sure, and and I mean, and of course, you know, even if Brexit continues, I mean, Theresa May is now in a much uh, less advantageous negotiating position when it comes to negotiating the terms of the Bre- of Brexit. I mean, it it would be. A, a good idea, probably, to slow down the Brexit process right yeah, now. I don't think the EU is particularly inclined to let them do that. And the EU holds all the cards because they invoked Article 50. This um, is such a mess. It's like, you, if you were going to hold the stupid snap election, you should have held it, and then if you got your mandate, then invoke Article 50. So let's, quick, let's, let's wrap this up by trying to figure out which is the biggest self-own. David Cameron yeah. calling the Brexit referendum with the assumption that it would be rejected, or Theresa May calling a snap election with the assumption she would increase her majority. I'm I'm going with Theresa May. Oh, that's uh, interesting. I, I was going to go with Cameron. Okay. Uh, my, the reason I'm going to go with Theresa May is for a variety of reasons. One, David Cameron won a bunch of elections, so I'll at least give him that. Um, two. Uh, the referendum on Brexit was non-binding, so even though it didn't go the way that he wanted, which was he was in favor of remaining, um, he, uh, in theory, it was not like a death blow. Uh, there was there there was the possibility still to go back, I uh, whereas I would me... argue that Theresa May, she like pulled the freaking ripcord jumped out of the plane, and then called the snap election. It's interesting to me that my view on it is I think of Theresa May as having a plan that while it didn't work, I understood why it would... I understood why someone would think, this is a good idea and I'm going to try this. Whereas with David Cameron, there was absolutely no reason that he needed to schedule that referendum at all. And he could just have not done it. There was nothing to be gained. And so he did it anyway. So it was totally... It was like more of an unforced error to me rather than like a mistake in judgment. I'll give you that. I I guess I would just argue that the, um, the consequences, I think, are even worse. I mean, they're both pretty now, major self-owns. I think we can agree yeah, on that. Yeah, I mean, that. they're both bad. They're both really bad. Um, Real dumb stuff. I, I'm, I'm convinced that we're going to end up with Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And I kind of suspect. That's what I'm hearing. I mean, within a few the months. The only theory that would lead against that is um, 
there was one of the things I heard in the analysis I listened to was what if they just let Theresa May continue because then she could absorb all the like terrible reputational damage of what's going to happen with Brexit. And then well, they could, I, so they, yeah. she could once they finished you know doing Brexit and it being a nightmare and them saying the, boy the, Theresa May sure is terrible then they can just get rid of her. Well, she's got to be willing to do that too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, nobody's in a good position. Some of the no. some of the best. Well, Jeremy S&P... Corbyn's in a pretty good position. He had a pretty good night. I mean, it's inter- not to get back into the Corbyn thing. Yeah. It did seem odd that he he didn't win. Right, Labor came in second. And he was talking about how the true losers are the Tories. And I was like, well, I mean, technically, that's not true because they got the most votes. Well, it was a very Pyrrhic victory, certainly for Labour. But they they did do a lot better than they had done in a long time. I guess in terms of the change from the previous situation, the Tories lost a bunch of seats and Labour gained a bunch of seats. So in that sense, it was a And Labour gained even more seats than the Tories lost. I like to see Labour in charge. You know, Jeremy Corbyn's not going to be around forever. No, I mean, I liked Ed Miliband. I, um, I mean, I would have liked him to be even leftier, but I thought he was a good, upstanding gentleman. So, um, this okay. I don't want to take us off into a tangent because the the clock is actually telling me we should wrap up now. But I will say that I see this as um, one of the things I always get on about is the DLC third way. There were a couple decades where the left just lost its mind because of Reagan and how successful mm-hmm. his electoral coalition was. And they were like, well, I guess we need to give up everything that makes us special and just try to get that money. And what's happening with labor, what's happening with what happened with Bernie Sanders and continuing is making Young me people think, are, are moving to the left. Well, I think there's a new generation of people now who are who are now growing up and they're saying, why aren't we doing left stuff like why aren't we trying to take care of people by taxing other people and giving you know providing services and i think the democrats are still in this mind in the united states are still in this mindset of like let's build these rube goldberg policies that are all right i I thought matt iglesias put it well um a couple days ago he said that for several decades democrats were sort of forced to um put forward as left policies as they could without describing them that way at all. And well, in doing stuff, yeah, and I, I've been reading him a lot too, where, you know, hiding the funding mechanism, right. all these things to try to make it seem all, like, gamed right. out and, and passing right. and Congressional then, Budget Office review. And then what Bernie Sanders did was he just described it as it actually was, which is we're, we want to raise taxes on people in order to pay for social programs. And I'm not, yeah, I feel like I would change what you said. It seemed more to me like Bernie was proposing we stop doing that old procedure yeah. and just go back to the earlier, like, keep it simple, stupid. Be like, hey, let's take some money by raising taxes on rich people and provide quality services to everybody. Right. And let's not hide that that's what we're doing. Let's just say we're going to do that and then do that. And, and I think love it's an that Id- stuff. I think it's an idea that makes sense to a lot of young people. Historically, it's been a very popular idea for across many different governing systems. Including in our country. Yeah. At, at many times. Yeah, there was a guy so, who got elected three or four times. And would have kept kept on going if he, um, if he could have, probably. And as always, when we mention FDR, we have to talk about how... 
he he was perpetuating white supremacy. So be better, the best thing would be to take what was successful about well, what he did and then take away the part where it was racist. Yes, I mean, that, 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 that's that certainly success. what that, that is what Mike needs to talk about every time we talk Look, about man, FDR. I'm, it's important. <laughs> you know, we celebrate <laughs> FDR and there were great things about him, but I think it's it we would be leaving something important out if we didn't acknowledge that that wasn't like a perfect period of time. It would it would sort of be like saying that Jeremy Corbyn is a great leader of labor without mentioning that he also loves terrorists. I mean, I can't fully validate that comparison in the time we have, but in Except general, it's, he's doing it in the year t- 2017 look, and not, not in the year 1935. I'll let you have the Corbin thing. Okay. Well, so I, I think we didn't have time, unfortunately, this week to get into the looming disaster, or I think as I described it before, tragedy that could potentially be um, what Mitch McConnell is about. Well, here to do to I'll talk about system. it. I'll talk about it for like twenty seconds. Go. It's just becoming more and more clear that Mitch McConnell wants to force through um, a health care bill in a very similar manner that the House did with uh, almost no oversight, perhaps a little bit more, um, and with the bill being available to read for about one day and almost no discussion. Um, and it's not entirely clear. It's 20 seconds. Okay. We'll, 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 we'll come back to talk about we'll that. We'll come back. But, you know, call us to get rid of Medicaid. Yes, please call your representatives. Follow uh, Andy Slavitt and Topher Spiro on Twitter. They are doing a really good job talking about it, and um, uh, we're all going to die. Yeah, I, uh, I'm, I have nothing to add. Um, let's let's do a quick. How are we staying sane? I yes. am as usual. I don't know how to answer that question anymore. So that my official answer is I don't know. Okay, that's fair. What's your answer? Uh, I'm going to go with, um, despite the fact that it has no tangible effect on anything, um, I still felt um, emboldened by by Comey's testimony that it, it seemed like it seems like at least one aspect of the government was sort of vaguely working the way it was supposed to. And he seemed real brave and strong. Yeah, he was really strong and big. Also, very he big. is huge. He is a, he is a tall man. Um, and again, I say hey, it it is never a bad day when the focus is on telling the truth. Um, so uh, I found I found that to be um, to give me a little hope. And um, I'm I'm still glad that Bob Mueller is on the case, and um, I hope that Donald um, ends up in a in a cell next to Bernie Madoff. Or <laughs> we'll see. Like that. I um I think that's a good good image to to close on. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for listening to Santa Jack. Make sure to join us again next week. And if you liked what you heard, you can subscribe at iTunes, the Google Play Store, or at sanitycheckpod.com. And in the meantime, keep resisting and persisting and calling your reps about healthcare. Yeah, call your senators. See you guys next week. Bye.